Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura Meyercourt, and I am an infant and child sleep consultant. And today we're going to take a little bit of a different direction that we usually do. We're talking about childhood trauma today. And with me on the show today, I have Kayleen McGrath, who is a licensed clinical social worker. She's been working in schools for about eight years. And I asked her to come on the show today because she really specializes in working with kids who've experienced trauma. So welcome to the show, Kayleen. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and how you became interested in working specifically with childhood trauma? Sure. Um, So I decided to become a social worker. I had actually started out thinking I wanted to go into child advocacy law and realized that what I liked most was being able to work one-on-one with children and being able to help them process stuff. And so I decided to go back to get my uh, master's in social work. And while I was at Loyola University in Chicago is where I got my master's, um, they had classes that weren't specific to trauma, but kind of touched on the topic of trauma a little bit. And I was really interested in that as well as one of my good friends who's also a social worker, she gave me the book by uh, Dr. Bruce Perry called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And it really goes in depth about this ideal or this misconception that oftentimes kids are just resilient and Mm -hmm. that you don't need to address it, that they'll just get over it. And he, his whole book is about why that isn't true and how it's really important that we do address it. And I think that really helped me pivot into understanding that this is important work that needs to be done. Um, My internship was at the same school that I'm currently worked at, and I was seeing that a lot of our kids were being impacted by trauma. And so wanting to be able to support them in a way that felt helpful and beneficial to them while also being mindful and sensitive to their own experiences. You know, growing up, my experiences were very different than a lot of the students that I work with. And so for me, it was really important that I'm able to honor their experiences, but also help support them in managing how they're processing seeing it as well as sometimes they haven't really talked about what happened or even realized that that's an experience that others don't also experience. And so being able to name it in a space that feels safe where they can be vulnerable is just really important for trauma work. I also have done my own kind of investigation into trauma. You know, I've been working with children. I was a nanny before that. I was a childcare worker and now I do sleep consulting and I look at it in a holistic way. So part of my wanting to bring this information to parents and caregivers is just because I think this is still kind of a taboo topic. It's still one of those topics where people think, well, not my family, not my child. So I wanted to educate my listeners a little bit more to open their minds and so that if their children or even themselves have experienced trauma, that they can know which direction to take next. Can you give us some examples of traumatic events that can occur in childhood? Yeah, I think, you know, and it's important, I think, to also name that the experience isn't necessarily the trauma, but the experience of it is what can be traumatic. And that's really important because just understanding that a child's perception of something and how they experience it can be so different from an adult. And so for us, oftentimes we tend to dismiss their experiences because we're looking at it from an adult frame versus a child's frame where they're like, I don't understand what's happening. So for example, 
even right now, what's going on in the world with COVID-19, that can be really traumatic for all of us, but in particular for kids who just don't have the brain development to understand what's happening. So they hear really big things on the news and then they're trying to process it, but their brain just doesn't have those skills to really understand what's happening or how they can make sense of what's going on in their family's life. You know, maybe a parent has lost a job because of this, or maybe their parent is working on the front line and they can't come home or they can't hug them when they come home. So there's all these things that are happening that can be really, that experience for them can be really traumatic. And so for us, it's important to keep that in mind that how they're perceiving it and experiencing it is going to feel different than us. So being present to that is important. Um, Natural disasters is another one. House fires, community violence, um, even if it doesn't directly impact the family, like if it's in their neighborhood, those are all experiences that can be traumatic. Um, A parent getting sick can be really a traumatic experience, especially if they don't know how to understand what's happening. And medical, medical things are just difficult in general, right? Like it's hard for me to understand what cancer is and how it impacts my family. So for a child, it's even bigger because again, they just don't have those skills to be able to understand that. Um, divorce can be traumatic. I think there's a lot of things when you start to break down those experiences, you realize that it might not seem that way to us, or it might not feel like this is something that would impact my family, but it does. You know, you have history of mental health issues, substance abuse issues, all of those things can be really traumatic experiences for kids. And I think something else to keep in mind is that uh, this idea of chronic trauma or chronic stress, which is that it, it continues. You know, oftentimes I use the example of if you get in a car accident, the next time you try to get in a car, it's a little overwhelming and you feel really anxious and you feel really nervous about getting back in that car. But you get in the car and you drive and you hopefully don't get in an accident. So your brain and your neurons start to develop this new path of saying, okay, it's safe for me to be in the car. Chronic stress is every time you get in the car, you get in an accident, or maybe you go two weeks and you're fine. So you start to feel safe and then you get in another accident. So it just really impacts the way that you can uh, build some of those resilient skills that are helpful to have. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the fact that depending on each child's personality and ability to cope in general, each instance will impact them differently for each child. So yeah, it's really important information um, for parents to know. So some typical um, ways that trauma or the effects of trauma may show up with children so that parents know some of the signs to look for after something has happened or if there's some chaos going on in their home so they can um, kind of monitor their own child and see how their child is handling it. Yeah, and I think you know, knowing your child is going to be helpful for these situations because how we experience trauma is different. Um, So if you're not having these conversations, starting to have conversations about emotions and the way that their body can trigger different things for them is really helpful so that kids can tell you when something feels different. Kids can name like, I feel weird right now, or I feel frustrated, or I can't sleep as well as I used to be able to sleep are all things that are really helpful to know. Um, But if you start to notice things about your child that are different, right, if they tend to be a really like outgoing, like always involved in the conversation, and all of a sudden now they're starting to seem a little quieter, a little bit more withdrawn, like being able to talk to them about that is really helpful. I always tell families and parents that you knowing your own emotions and your own experiences is really helpful because you can use that to model to your children. So I talk about in schools, particularly if I'm working with a teacher, 
if I'm starting to feel frustrated in a classroom and I'm teaching, I'll say it to the students. And it's come with a lot of education and pre-training to say like, I'm feeling frustrated. I know I'm feeling frustrated because my cheeks are starting to get red. I'm starting to feel like I'm out of control right now. So I need to stop and I need to take a deep breath because that's going to help me calm down. And that's really helpful because kids are like, oh, sometimes I feel that way too. And it makes it normal for them to say, I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling really upset. And then you're able to process that together. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think, you know, especially little kids, they're not going to be able to verbalize it, but they might play it out and how they play about things. I have a lot of friends who have young children who are showing a lot of washing hands play, putting masks Mm -hmm. on their dolls. So that's ways that they are showing us. I'm hearing this. I don't know what to do with this. What, what's happening. And so being able to talk to them about where they're at and what they're feeling and doing it at an age appropriate level. You know, you can have a conversation with a 16 year old in a very different way than you can have with a two year old. Um, and so when they're little, it's just making sure that are you being mindful of when you as adults are talking about it? Are you being mindful of what's on the TV? Are you normalizing them and telling them that, yes, we can't control the germs outside, but this is what we're doing here in our house. We're washing our hands. We're wiping down counters. We're making sure everyone's feeling healthy are ways that make it make more sense for someone who's a little bit little. That's that's awesome. I do talk a lot in this podcast about um, how important it is for parents to know first their own emotions and feelings and to be able to separate them from their child. And just with sleep work, it's really important because children need to feel safe and secure in order to relax and calm down for sleep. So this actually does play a big part in sleep. Something else I wanted to touch on, I just thought about when you were talking, like generational trauma and parents that have their own trauma. I think that's something that I see quite a bit in my work and even in my personal life. Can you just talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So generational trauma is uh, still something that's being researched right now, but biologically people who experience trauma, like generational trauma, how the genetics look are different, just given that the experience, like your body experiences it and how you respond is a very biological thing. We talk about fight, flight, and freeze as like your just automatic response to anything that's you, you feel is a threat. So when you have generations of people having to live in that as their baseline, it's going to impact the way that you and your genetics look. So your natural response might be a little bit different than somebody who hasn't had experiences of trauma and generational history. And so that's really important to keep in mind as well, because when you're the adult and you know, like, this is my family history, I can see the patterns that have gone down the line. You being able to name that and do the work on yourself is really important. I talk a lot in my work about uh, a dysregulated brain can't regulate. So if you're feeling dysregulated and the child in front of you is feeling dysregulated and you both try to keep going back and forth, it's just going to build, 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 and you're escalating and then it explodes and you both walk away. Nobody has won. Nobody feels good about that interaction. So being really mindful of your own cues and feeling safe to say to your child or to another adult, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I need to take a break and I'm going to come back when we both can have this conversation or we both can deal with this. Um, I think it's harder with little kids because they don't know what's going on. They just feel so much. We talk about how little kids are just essentially like 
uh, the part of your brain that like processes emotions is the amygdala. So they're like just one big amygdala sitting there in front of you. And so they can't process it. They never get to get to the prefrontal cortex, which is their thinking and reasoning brain until way after the emotions have happened. So in those situations, your job is just to model regulation. You know, we do it so naturally for babies, right? If a baby cries, we're going to pick them up and we're going to rock them and we're going to be like, it's okay, shh. But as they get older, we lose that patience for it because we start to think from an adult perspective of, well, you should know better. We've talked about this. But when your kid is still really little, they just don't have the developmental capacity to know that. And like repetition is so important. It's why you'll see a lot of times like infants and toddlers rocking when they're really frustrated because they've learned from when they were being rocked as babies, this is a soothing technique. So I'm trying to soothe myself. So sometimes that means as an adult, if your toddler or infant or someone who's a little bit littler and can't have conversations, you have to model it. So maybe it's getting on the floor with them while they're kind of having a meltdown and rubbing their back and using soothing sounds and saying, I'm here, I'm sorry you're frustrated, I'm here is a really helpful way. And again, this is all very easy to say because in the moment it's so hard because you're also feeling dysregulated. And so sometimes it's helpful if you're using with your child, the same thing you need. Like if I need to breathe, I'm going to sit next to a child and breathe with them because that's also going to help me regulate in that moment, which is really helpful. Um, Dan Siegel does a lot of really great work around this. And so uh, this year at the school I work at, we read the book, No Drama Discipline, even though it's geared for its parents, it's helpful across any caretaker's role. So whether you're a parent, a teacher, a social worker, Uh, a nanny, anyone who's in a caregiving role with children, it's a really helpful book. And he talks a lot about how to co-regulate, how to sit with a kid who's really frustrated, name the feeling in the room and be able to be in that space. But it all starts with the work you have to do on yourself. And that's even harder if you have generational trauma because you're doing the work for yourself and the generations behind you as well. And you could still be in that system, right? Like family systems are so important. And if you're doing the work, but your parents or your siblings aren't doing the work, like you're still having to like navigate their trauma as well. Yeah, it's so hard. And you're right. It is so much easier to say than to do. I think it all starts with some mindfulness. Um, I really encourage parents to develop some kind of mindfulness practice, just even if it's taking one mindful breath, because it helps to come back to the present. It helps to come back to your body. Um, And then once we have that working in our lives and see it working, we can encourage our children to do the same. You work in a school setting, you mentioned. What are some of the ways that you see um, the children you work with uh, impacted by trauma, particularly with their learning abilities and their ability to um, focus, things like that? Yeah, so trauma significantly impacts what we call their executive functioning skills and executive functioning is being able to focus, being able to sit, pay attention in class, raise your hand, not just shout out. And those are key skills you need, not only in school, but in life, right? Like being able to sit in a meeting and as an adult and hear something that's frustrating and not shout out about it or not say like, I don't want to do this right now. Like being able to have the executive function to uh, manage your emotions while also learning is really hard. And so oftentimes how we see that is we see kids who are disruptive in the classroom, who are zoning out. You know, oftentimes we assume that um, 
trauma shows up just as like really big outbursts or these really big emotional reactions, but internalizers, it means they just turn in on themselves. So they'll zone out, they'll fall asleep in class. And those are all signs that like something bigger could be going on. Um, and it really impacts their learning because it's hard. It's hard to sit in a classroom when you feel dysregulated. And when your baseline is that fight, flight, or freeze response, because you're just waiting, you're just kind of always waiting for the next thing that's going to set you off that next threat that's going to come into your environment. And so it makes it hard to sit in a classroom. So when I'm working with teachers, the first piece is education. Like you have to educate the teachers first on this and have to get everyone to understand that um, everyone has experienced trauma. No one is immune to experiencing trauma in their lives in some form, whether it's chronic trauma or just one traumatic event, like everyone has experienced it at some point. And then realizing that it, this doesn't define our kiddos and it doesn't make them who they are, but it's a part of their story that we have to honor. And as adults saying, we're going to do this work, then we also have to do the work for ourselves as well as that kids are also just kids. So we don't want to sit here and try to diagnose or say like, Oh, he fell asleep in class. What happened? Like you could also just have stayed up too late playing video games. Like there's so many things. So what I always say is that this type of education is just helpful for all kids. Like I would have loved to have gone to a school where when after every like 20 minutes of doing a really intense work, we took a brain break where we could like relax, we could breathe. Or before we took a test, we did a mindful breathing exercise. Like that would have been a really helpful thing for me to have as a kid. So it's really using practices in the classroom that acknowledge that not all kids can sit for 45 to 60 minutes and do academic work. You have to be able to stop and give them breaks. You have to be able to name the feeling in the room. So if like kids are coming in from recess and they're all like excited, or maybe they're a little annoyed because one team won, one team didn't, being able to name that to say, oh, it feels like there's just a lot of feelings in this room and that's okay. Let's try to get us all to a space where we feel like we can learn our helpful things. But we also have to talk to the kids about it, which means they also have to be educated. We use, excuse me, we use Dan Siegel's model of flip your lid in school. So we talk to them about what the brain is. We educate them on how your emotions and feelings work with the brain and that when you start to feel frustrated, your lid starts to flip a little bit. And that when you're fully upset, like you flipped your lid. So using that is helpful because it gives language that makes kids feel like, I don't have to say like, I'm really angry. But if they can say like, I'm flipping my lid, you as an adult knows like, okay, you need a break. Um, we're also really fortunate that we have a really strong social work team in our school that can provide a lot of those supports. Um, so yeah, I think how it shows up for us most is that their executive function is impacted. So their academics, they just they have a hard time being able to buy in in the same way as students who might not have been impacted by trauma. And so for us as a school, it means we have to be honest and open about that we understand that and then working with them as well as working with parents and families as well. Because oftentimes if a child's experienced or being impacted by trauma, so is the parent. And so by educating them and normalizing it for them as well, then everyone can do that work together. Tell me how you've seen the results of the work that you've done with children and helping them cope. Have you seen some children transform as a result of helping them cope with the trauma they've experienced? I think what we see most often is that we see kids who are more open to our interventions. So um, being able to say like, I want to talk about this feeling or I'm willing to talk about this emotion or we've had kids who 
have come in and had a really hard time being able to manage some of those bigger feelings, but have been able to say later on after a lot of work with like at home families doing the same work that we're doing at school that they can say like, yeah, I'm frustrated. I have a big feeling. I need to stop. And like, to me, that's a success. Like you're naming what you need. You're asking for what's going, like what's going to help you right now. Um, and that's really helpful. I also think we see it in our older guys in them having the emotional language to describe what's actually going on and what's happening and feeling comfortable to come in and say, can I check in with this person? I just need to start my day here to be able to feel successful are all ways that it's really helpful. Because for me, the, the way that it shows that it's being successful is that when kids feel like they can own their own feelings and emotions and get the support that they need, but also as equally important that when they struggle and they can't control that emotion as well as they would like to, they still feel safe in our space and they still feel like they're not going to be judged or that they're not going to be treated differently because maybe their reaction or how they handled it wasn't what they would have wanted. So for me, it's just really understanding the human behind everything that's going on. And that's how I feel like we've seen our successes. So it all starts with education. If someone is thinking that their child maybe um, coping with trauma or experiencing some of the effects, how can they tell when it's time to seek more treatment, outside help or treatment? I think what we always say for any type of mental health treatment is when it impacts your daily function. So if you just notice that your kiddo is really having a hard time processing or things that they used to love, they're just not able to do, or it just feels like they're having a lot of really big feelings and you've worked through like the talking and the conversation, um, that might be a sign that it's time to get some outside help. Also, if you feel like you're not prepared to do that, right? Like we're all overwhelmed. We all have a lot on our plates. And if you feel like I can't give this the attention I would like to, or I need help knowing how to give this the attention I would like to, that's a great time to reach out to a mental health professional to say, Hey, this is what's going on. Um, mental health professionals always do intakes as well. So they'll be able to say, hey, I think this would be a really good fit or this is a great time to come in for this intervention or I would recommend trying this and then if you feel like you're still not getting the support or they still feel like they're having a hard time, then come back in. I would say, honestly, anytime there's been something that's really impactful to your family and if you're having a hard time processing it and you feel like I could use some support with this, your child probably does too. Um, I know for a lot of times what I'll hear from families is that they have sought help when they realize like, I'm not coping with this. Like I'm not doing the things I used to, or I'm not finding joy in the same things, or it's really hard for me to do some of the stuff I used to do because I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, that that was a good sign. Like if I'm feeling this way. What is my kiddo feeling? So that's usually a good sign as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been so, it's been educational for me and I've learned a lot and I hope that my listeners have also taken away something from it. So if my listeners are interested in learning more, do you have any recommendations? I know you talked about Dan Siegel or favorite resources for parents. Yeah, I do. So Dan Siegel has a whole series about the whole brain child as well, which I think is really, really helpful for parents. Um, and there's like a workbook that goes with it. So I would really recommend any of Dan Siegel. And then he works with um, Tina Bryson, who's a medical doctor. So it's just a really cool partnership of the psychological world and the medical world and how that all impacts development. Um, and then I would say for adults who are also just trying to work through their own trauma or know others and trying to support those who've had trauma. Um, I mentioned his book before, but Dr. Bruce Perry is wonderful. And then 
Dr. Nadine Burke Harris has a book called The Deepest Well. She also has an amazing TED Talk that talks about um, the ACEs score and how old, over your lifespan trauma can be impactful. And so that's a really good piece. Um, I think it's super educational and it's interesting because it comes from a medical perspective and as someone who only usually comes from it as a mental health perspective, it was really helpful to get that support and that validation from a medical professional as well that like, this is a big deal and this is something we need to talk about. And then the last two books, um, Trauma Stewardship is a book about walking and working with others who've experienced trauma, which has been really helpful. Uh, Secondary trauma is a real thing. And I think we don't talk a lot about it in uh, the professional world and just being able to say like, this is hard and it's hard to sit with people who've experienced trauma and to hear their truths and to be mindful of that, that you also have to take care of yourself so that you can keep doing that work. And this book really speaks well to it. And then my last one is The Body Keeps the Score. Um, Again, just really does a good job of talking about how when trauma happens or any type of mental health crisis happens, it shows up in your body. And that is just a really important piece to keep in mind as well. Thank you, Kayleen. And thank you so much for the work that you do. We definitely need more people like you in the world. Who cares? I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I get to do the work that I do and it's something that I love. And no, I'm always happy to talk more about this. So if anyone's out there and they want to learn more, like feel free to share my contact information. This is something I love and feel like knowledge is power. And it's such an important thing for people to have. I know that I learned a ton from that conversation with Kayleen. And as I mentioned at the beginning, the purpose of this interview was to open our eyes to the fact that this can happen in our families and to our children and to the people we know, our friends, our family members, our coworkers, all of us know someone who's been touched by trauma. I really want to remove the stigma from the discussion about trauma and mental health because if it's not addressed, as Kayleen talked about, it just gets passed on from generation to generation. I have my own personal reasons for talking about this topic, and I know many people in my life that have been touched by trauma. I try to do my part in educating myself and in understanding how trauma can affect the people around me and to be mindful of my own emotions and feelings. And it's really hard as we talked about in their interview, you know, and I talk about this all the time, knowing how to separate our emotions from our children's emotions. And not only that, but Kayleen gave us the great tool of being able to name emotions and teaching kids how to name their own emotions. This week's reflection is on the topic of the three E's of trauma. So if you are dealing with uh, someone in your life who's experienced childhood trauma, your own child, yourself, or someone you know, there's three E's of trauma that we can reflect on. The first E is the event. And the question to ask ourselves is, did an event take place in my child's life? The second E is experience. The experience talks about your child's unique perception of the event. As Kayleen said, it's more about how we perceive the event than about the actual event because an event that's scary or overwhelming to one child might not necessarily be traumatic for another child. So you're seeking to understand here. Some of the questions we can ask ourselves are, how might my child feel about the event that occurred? Could my child be experiencing any of the emotions or negative feelings that we talked about in today's conversation? 
What could the event mean to him or her? And could the event have changed the way my child feels about the world, others, or about him or herself? And the final E is effect. The effect refers to the impact the event and experience has upon your child. It can be short-term or long-term, and it may come on immediately or show up later. It might result in increased problems in the family, in relationships, changes in sleep, eating, or mood, difficulties in school, difficulties concentrating or withdrawing. So some questions to ask yourself as a caregiver. How has my child changed after the event and in what ways? Does my child exhibit any of the examples listed or have you noticed any other changes in your child? So knowing our children is our best tool as parents because you know your child best. I say this all the time. And if your intuition is guiding you and telling you something is going on with my child, then more understanding, more looking into the issue needs to be done. And the sooner we can address whatever issues are going on with our children, the sooner we can get to a solution and help our children cope. I thank you so much for joining me this week, and I'll be back next week with another all-new episode. I ask if you are enjoying The Little Sleep Show to please not only share it with your friends and family and anyone you think would benefit from it, but also if you could take a moment to go on iTunes and rate and review my podcast. It just helps to boost it and for more people to see it and be exposed to it. Helps me um, to reach my goal of getting this information out to as many people as possible. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Remember to be kind to yourself and to each other. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.